to welcome all of you today, and especially if you're a guest with us this morning. We are so happy to have you in service with us today. Thank you for being here. It is our hope and prayer that the Spirit of the Lord touches your life today. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as well as a part of this service, wherever you may be this morning. Good to see Brother Carlos Williams this morning. Amen. And it's good to see Sister, hope I get the last name pronunciation right, but Sister Nina Smoot. She is, uh, I think she was really, really young, but she was one of my Sunday school teachers. So I don't want to give age away, but it's so good to see her. She's here visiting, I believe, her mother who lives uh, actually in the same building my grandmother lives in. So it's great to see her. And then a couple of you have already asked this morning, so I'll just take a moment to tell you um, um, Sister Angie is is on the mend. Actually, the last couple of days have been some, some good days, really good days. And so um, she is getting better and better. We are thankful for that, and it is the hope that she will be here next Sunday, so praise God. Amen. Psalm chapter 30, and I will begin reading with verse number 4. Psalm 30, verse number 4. Oh, why not start with verse number 1? I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. Thou hast lifted me up. I didn't lift myself up. You lifted me up. And hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment, and His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Just kind of underline that in your minds there as we read on. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. He, he said, I, everything's always going to be good. <laughs> Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee. Anybody ever felt that way? Boy, every, it's, I have made it. Everything's going to be good from here on out. And then God hides his face. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? You know, it's good to know we're all in good company because... Most of us have tried to use some of our reasoning on God to trick Him into doing what we... David is saying, hey, you know, God, if you let me die, what good is, you know, what? how is that going to praise you, God? 
Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Verse 11, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Then he says in verse 11, You have turned my morning into dancing. I want to preach to you this morning for a little bit on this subject. There's joy in the morning or in the morning. There's joy in the morning or in the morning. Lord, thank you for your awesome, wonderful presence we feel in this place today. You've already been moving and working in such a wonderful, powerful, deep way, God. Thank you for the praise and the worship, the liberty of our praise and our worship here this morning and your response to that. God, I believe you've already been ministering and touching hearts and lives, but I also believe that what's been happening so far has also been a part of preparation to get us to where we are, where we're going, what you want to do and say to somebody in this place today. So, Father, I pray again this morning that I would not simply be here to preach a sermon because that's what's expected as a part of a service, but that you would allow me to be a messenger that would deliver a message from you, that it would speak to hearts and lives where they are with what they need to hear because you are an ever-present help, God. So I trust you for that help in this place today. I trust you this morning for your anointing. I acknowledge today, Jesus, I can do nothing without you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Barnes Notes says about joy coming in the morning. The margin, and the Bible says singing, the margin expresses the force of the original word. There will be singing, shouting, exultation. That is, if we have the friendship of God, sorrow will always be temporary and will always be followed by joy. The morning will come. A morning morning without clouds. A morning... When the sources of sorrow will disappear. This often occurs in the present life. It always will always occur to the righteous in the life to come. The sorrows of this life are but for a moment and they will be succeeded by the light and the joy of heaven. Then, if not before, all the sorrows of the present life, however long they may appear to be, will seem to have been but for a moment. Weeping, though it may have made life here but one unbroken night, will be followed by one eternal day without a sigh or a tear.
Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. We know that night, night in its most literal sense, is, is not a negative thing. It's a very important thing. We need night. We need the time of rest. We were made. God designed us that you need rest. I've, I've observed people in my life who claim uh, that, that they can get by with very little sleep, except they sit down for a few moments and they fall asleep, or they get a little bit cranky and grumpy, but I don't need much sleep. The bottom line is we all need sleep to whatever, and it is true, some people can get by on less than others, but the bottom line is God created us that we would need sleep. And therefore, night, again, in its most literal application, is not a negative thing. It's a very important part of our day. But in a, in a symbolical way, in a, in a, in a uh, poetic way, night has been used, it has become uh, something that has a bit of a negative connotation. You are, you're going through a night season when things are not going good, when you're facing difficulties and adversity, you're going through problems. We often will view that or talk about it as being the night. And no doubt that is the context of the psalmist here. Weeping may endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning. That's not a that's not a, uh, a, a, a an if. It didn't say joy may come. It it says weeping may endure, but it doesn't say joy may come. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. No matter what you're going through today, you and I as believers should have hope. Hope is one of the absolute most important things we can possess. But hope is not just wishful thinking. I believe that we have, we have developed an idea of hope in our world in a natural sense that really it's nothing more than a wish. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something we just we wish for. That's not what the biblical word hope means. We say we hope for certain things. I I I hope that before I die, the Orioles will win another World Series. I mean, I would even take just the playoffs for right now. But but that's that's a hope in a natural sense. And we've got a lot of different things we are hoping for. There's probably some things some of you are hoping that'll happen this week. But that word hope is not a wish. It's not make a wish and blow out the candles and maybe it'll happen. That word hope is much different than that because that word hope according to its original definition means a confident expectation. It's not a wish. It's not a, it's not just this a maybe this will happen and let's see. It is a confident 
expectation. It is a certainty that it's going to happen. It is when I hope that God's going to intervene. It's not a wish. I know. I believe. I I don't know exactly when He's going to do it. I don't know exactly when He's going to show up. But I have a confident expectation that God is going to show up. I, I have a confident expectation that no matter what I'm going through right now, all things work together for good. So on those days where it seems like everything is crashing in on me and I've got more questions than I've got answers, I have a confident expectation that somehow, some way, at some point, this will work for my good. So I have hope that while I may be weeping, there is joy that is coming in the morning. But I've come to challenge you today that sometimes joy comes in the morning. M-O-R-N-I-N-G. But the problem is if we're not careful, we are only expecting joy in the morning. M-O-R-N-I-N-G. But I'm here to tell you today that sometimes joy is not coming in the morning, in the a.m., so to speak, but joy is coming in. In the midst of your M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. In the midst of your grieving, if I could say it that way. And the problem is sometimes we get so caught up that I'm only going to get what I need when everything changes. But sometimes God is trying to give you what you need in the midst of what you are facing. In the midst of what you are going through. The problem is if we get so focused on God getting us through it, we may miss what God is trying to do in it. If I've made up my mind, I'm only going to have joy in the morning after the night, I may miss the fact that God's trying to give me some joy while I am still in the process of mourning, while things are still not good, circumstances are still not going that well for me, that in the midst of that, John sixteen twenty one, Jesus said, A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for, the joy, for joy that a man is born into the world. I've had the amazing privilege four times in my life to watch my wife give birth to children. Wow. After the first time, the next three times, I, I, I wasn't terrified, but I went into it with a level of fear for her. Because the first time, the first birth, she was in labor most of the night. Started early a.m., I think around 1 or 2 a.m. And ended up not giving birth until early afternoon. And then after the birth, there was some challenges and complications. So in the future, and and. Like, oh God, thankfully the next three were, were nowhere near as that, but the bottom line was it wasn't a pleasurable experience for her. That is the understatement of understatements. 
I got. I don't want to offend anybody with this. I don't want to offend any. But I've seen this in the at least popping up in social media. Why? I probably. I really probably shouldn't say it, but why a man would ever want to? Only man that ever would want to give birth to a child is one that's never stood in the delivery room and watched a woman give birth. I didn't say it out loud, but I think I would because I I'd have, there'd have been a birth and a murder probably. But I got to tell you, I was standing there. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I was. But it is amazing because, again, I, I and as the as a man not having and I'm I'm not trying to be offensive. I, I've I've heard some of you say it, and I I'm not picking on anybody. But but four kids, and actually my wife had several miscarriages as well. So uh, four plus pregnancy, four that went all the way to birth. We we weren't pregnant. We, we weren't pregnant. I feel like I'm doing a disservice to her to say we. Again, I'm not shooting at anybody. Please don't get, I'm not, but I just, I laid down at night in the same positions I laid down in for months. I didn't need no body-sized pillows. I didn't need whatever else. I, I laid down and I went to sleep, slept well. And the bottom line is this, while there is a a sense of relief that comes with the birth, it's not a sudden, I feel great, let's go run a marathon. We we had uh, both Elizabeth and Esther, our first two were born in in, um, um, birthing centers with a midwife and and I mean, within several hours of those births, we were we were back home. But then, when she was pregnant with the third one, we thought, you know, you can you can have a free stay, sort of free, for a couple of extra days in the hospital and not have to worry. And I mean, uh, Esther was two years older. Elizabeth and Esther were eighteen months apart, and then Timothy was being born two years later. So. The other two were still pretty young. You can stay here and have constant attention and care. Or, so she still used a midwife but stayed for a couple extra days of rest. But all of that discomfort, all of that pain was made worthwhile because of the joy I wonder how many times we miss some joy in what we are going through because all we can think about is the only answer is I got to get to a new day. I got to get past this trial. I've got to get past these circumstances I'm in. And, And I've come to tell somebody this morning... There may be a chance, and I hope for your sake and my sake, the morning is the M-O-R. 
N-I-N-G. But I've come to understand in the last little while that sometimes my joy is not about being in the A-M. It's about the fact that while I am mourning, in the midst of my mourning, He can turn my mourning into dancing. That while I'm still in it, while I am still going through it, I can receive something from Him. Some of the most well-known hymns were written in the midst of adversity. Were written in the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Not after everything was over with. Many of you have heard this, but one of the most well-known hymns, It is well, not it will be well. It is well with my soul was written by Horatio Spafford in 1871. His son died of pneumonia and at the same time he lost most of his business in the great Chicago fire. He sends his wife and four daughters to Europe and in the midst of their crossing the Atlantic they collide with another ship and all four daughters die. And the wife alone survives. She gets to the other side and she sends back a telegram letting him know and he quickly makes arrangements to join her. And it's in the process. The story says that it was somewhere in the vicinity of where the collision had taken place that he began to write the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like seas billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, not it will be well, And we need to believe it will be well. But we also need to learn how to know that in the midst of it, it is well with my soul. It is well. Why? Because in the midst of my mourning, in the midst of my grieving, I've got something that is being given to me that is beyond explanation. Why, why should I have peace right now? Why, why should I have joy right now? Look at what I'm going through. Because in the midst of my mourning, he's turned it into some dancing. It's not the good times in life that give us the greatest appreciation of God. As the children of Israel were making their journey from Egypt to the promised land, the place that God says He was taking them to and He was going to bless them abundantly, they they were going to occupy houses and cities and reap from vineyards that they didn't plant. And and so in in the midst of that that journey he gives them the law and he gives them things to help them live in that land and 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 then he tells them this says "I, i i'm worried about something i'm worried that when you get to the place i promised you 
And you're living in the houses you didn't build and the cities you didn't build and you're reaping from the vineyards that you didn't plant. I'm worried that you will forget me when you get to the place I'm giving you. The place that is a blessing. I'm worried that when you get there you will forget me. Notice, he never one time told them he was worried about them forgetting him in the wilderness. Not one time was he ever concerned that while you're in the wilderness, you might forget me. Why was he not concerned? Because in the wilderness, they didn't have anything. They didn't have food. They didn't have water. They had no provisions. And they knew we need him. We think when we get to the place that we don't really need Him anymore, and that's when He's blessed us. Sometimes the greatest blessing in your life is when God keeps you in the place that you know, I need Thee, oh, I need Thee every hour. I need Thee. Some of you think you only need Him on Sunday morning. Some of you think you only need Him in the bad times when something is specifically going wrong. But can I tell you today, every hour I need Thee. It's not in the times of prosperity and abundance that we draw closer to Him. It's in the times of difficulty. It's when you're going through sickness. It's when the doctor looks at you and says, I'm very sorry to tell you, but you got cancer in your body, and I'm not really sure if we can do anything for you. It's in those moments. It's when you look across the desk from your boss, and he says, I'm really sorry, but we got to let you go, and you got family to take care of, and people that are counting on you. It's in those moments that draw you closer to Him than ever before. Oh, believe me, believe me. I, I, I hope you'll, I, I hope Brother Brother Vernell Jr. He's out doing some usher duties right now, but 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 he's he's such a great blessing. We grew up together. He's been a lifelong friend. And he told me the other day, he said. Thank you for, for preaching the things you're preaching with what you're going through. We need to hear it. So I, I hope you don't get tired yet of hearing. <laughs> I, I know I've, I've spent, I'm not talking about my wife, and she's the one suffering. I've spent the last several months focused on the morning. Well, we're going to wake up in the morning. Figuratively, we're going to wake up in the morning and it's all going to be gone. And we wake up the next day and still there. And we wake up the next day and some days we waken up and it's worse than it was. We're missing the fact that God's trying to give us some joy in what we're going through. In the things that we are facing. Joseph, most of you know the story, one of the most notable stories, one of the most commonly known stories in all of the Bible. Joseph, is, his life is turned upside down. He's got a great life. He's the youngest. At, for a while, he's the youngest of, of all of his brothers. And, and, and not only is he the youngest, but he's also the favorite. Let me tell you something. If you've never really truly honestly read some of the stories from an honest perspective. Not some, you know, 
filtered lens that sees everything properly. There was some serious dysfunction in the families in the Bible. If you think your family's dysfunctional, don't be too discouraged. In fact, go read the Bible and you should be able to get some hope. I mean, there's, there's some serious dysfunction. In fact, most of the greatest people used throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, the ones we know of, they, they came from some, I mean, crazy dysfunctional families. Jacob comes from a family where his mom tells him to deceive his dad, her husband. And Joseph has got a bunch of older brothers, but he's the favorite one. And I mean, it's not just supposed. It was well known because his dad gave him a coat. That let everybody know, this is my favorite. So Joseph had a really good life, but he gets turned upside down. And, and he's, sold into, he's sold into slavery. He's taken to a completely foreign place and, 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 and goes into slavery for years. And then he's wrongly, completely, falsely accused. And then he's thrown into prison. And, and, and years and years and years he goes through this. And then finally he ends up in the palace and becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And, but, but look at what he says in Genesis 41 and verse 50. Look at what it says. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. And, and now look at this next verse. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful when he got me out of the place of affliction. God has turned it all around when I got away from. No. God has called me to be fruitful in the land. Of my affliction. God has given me joy in the morning. I am certain there were years that went by that Joseph was thinking, well, morning's coming. There's going to be joy in the morning. I don't know how, I don't know when, but somehow I'm getting out of here and I'm going back home. And everything's going to be good. And it never happened. Year after year after year after year after year. But finally he says, God caused me to be fruitful in my affliction. Watch, watch this, another pretty well-known story in the Bible. Esther chapter 9, just a little bit of context in case somebody here may not be that familiar with it. A decree has gone out. There's been some plotting and scheming by, by at the time, the king's right-hand man, basically, against the Jewish people. 
And so he's manipulated the king into giving a decree that all the Jews were going to be killed. And so the Bible says in Esther 9 verse 1, Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. On the day that this group of people was supposed to be completely wiped out in this nation. On that day, verse 17 says, On the thirteenth day of the month of Dar, and on the fourteenth day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same they rested, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month of Dar a day of gladness, and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus both nigh and far to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from morning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor the day that was supposed to be this terrible day was turned from what should have been a day of mourning into a day of celebration The enemy is so good at convincing us that everything is over in our lives. Everything is done. And and, and everything that's in the future is going to be so negative. It's, It's all going to be bad. But I'm here to tell somebody today that there's some things that the enemy may have said in your life is going to be a day of mourning. But if you'll just hang on and trust God, what is supposed to be a day of mourning, God can turn around and exchange your mourning for joy what would have been a time of grieving he can turn into a time of celebration sometimes he does that by bringing us through it and sometimes he does that while we are in it Isaiah 6 excuse me Samuel tells us the story King Saul First king of the nation of Israel becomes disobedient and rebellious and God rejects him. In the midst of all of that, he and his son Jonathan are killed. The Bible says that Jonathan had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was born healthy, born with the ability to do everything you normally can do. But in the midst of all of that, the Bible says his nurse was fleeing with him and she dropped him. And he became, at five years old, he became lame on his feet. 
There's not really a whole lot of details that are told about him throughout Scripture. We get, we get that story, and then there's kind of this gap in his life, and we don't know how long that gap is, but there comes a point in time where David begins to think about Jonathan and the friendship and the kindness that Jonathan had showed him. And so David begins to inquire and says, is there, is there any, anybody left from the household of Jonathan that I can show kindness to them because of the kindness that Jonathan showed to me? And so someone mentions that there's this man by the name of Mephibosheth, five years old, he's crippled in the process of fleeing for his life. He is apparently now at some point in adulthood. We don't know how long, we don't know how old, may have been in his 20s, may have been in his 30s. I don't know of anything in Scripture that tells us specifically how old he was at this point, but it's pretty apparent he was a grown man now. So David calls for him. He comes, and if you read the story, you can read in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read one verse in a moment from there, but you can read some of that story. And David brings Mephibosheth to his palace, and it's pretty apparent from some of the things that are said in there that when Mephibosheth got there, he he got there and he was afraid. He was afraid that he was about to be punished maybe even worse, killed. But he wasn't there for that. He was there because the king wanted to show him kindness. And so David gives back to Mephibosheth everything that belonged to his family. Restored lands and and, and, uh, farms. He gives it all back, but then after all that, and, he, and then he gave me, what good is all of that if you are crippled and can't take care of it? So he, he gives him additional help to take care of it. So he gives him all of that, restores all of that, but then he does something beyond that. He says, but you, Mephibosheth, you are going to eat at my table like one of my sons every day. You're not even going to need all of that. I'm giving it all to you, but you're not even going to need it because you are going to eat at my table. And the last, I believe it's the last verse of 2 Samuel 9, verse 13 says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. But it makes sure that we know that while he was eating at the king's table continually, he was still laying in both his feet. Hopefully this will change next week since I'm not preaching tonight because we have small groups. But hopefully next week I'll be able to preach some wonderful, exciting, uplifting message. Once again, in the effort of being real, I tell you, some of you are sitting here waiting, not only for God to give you a seat at the table, but you can't be satisfied 
with the seat at the table because you're still focused on, well, I'm still lame. I know what all you gave me. I know you restored everything that my family lost. But what about this? Well, this just took a turn. What? What? Yeah, I know you gave me all these blessings, but when you're going to do it all, there's a chance that for the sake of your soul, God may have decided for some of you to give you a seat at the table. But while you've got a seat at the table, you're still going to be lame on your feet. Not to be something to be shameful of. I preached this in the past, but I'll use it again here this morning. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I can't say this 100%. I'm assuming Mephibosheth needed help to get to the table. I'm assuming someone helped get him in his chair. But once he got to the table, when you pull up to the table, and you start to look from one end of the table to the other, you may not be normal under the table. Here's the problem for some of us. You come to church and you get your spot at the table and you know that under the table I still got some issues. And you think that just because what you see of everybody else at the table looks normal that you're the only one at the table that's got problems. What you don't know is, in this context, every one of us are Mephibosheth. Not one of us deserved a seat at this table. Not one of us got here on our own ability. Not one of us got here because we are worthy of it. But I'm now at the same table that everybody else is. And I may continue to be lame on my feet, but I'm eating at the king's table. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You've turned my morning. (laughs) You've turned the things that cause grief and sorrow. They've now become a source of my joy and my dancing because I know it's only the grace of God that I'm here. Still had to deal with his crippledness. But the morning was turned into celebration, into a source of joy. In fact, you go back years and years. No doubt he had lived his life mourning the loss of his father and the loss of his grandfather. Can I tell you, it's through your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, 
that God brings the greatest blessings of your life. There's a song we used to sing sometimes in church. It's been a long time, but it says, I've never seen a rainbow till after the rain. I've never known His healing power till after the pain. I've never seen a sunrise till after the night. And I've never known a victory until after the fight. I heard of you, as you've heard me say many times, my favorite verse, Job 42 and 5. I heard of you with my ears. I heard others talk about what you've done and who you are, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And oftentimes it's been through the greatest challenges and difficulties of my life that I have come to see you with my own eyes. Paul says this, in 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that you and I are going through right now that we are often so consumed with getting through and getting out of are the things that God has allowed in our lives because it's through those temporal things that He is producing eternal things. I just, I, I don't have, didn't get, didn't even think of it till this moment. I didn't get permission to share this specifically, so I'm just going to share it very vaguely. I just, my wife just shared with me just this week someone who had shared that they, did, they didn't really truly understand the value of the church, the church they're a part of being this church. They didn't really fully understand it until they faced some adversity. I've, I've heard Brother Ben Kimbrell share that. After losing, his sister Kimbrell lost their firstborn after just days of life. It's not until we face some of the biggest difficulties and challenges that we find out the blessing and the benefit of the body we're a part of. But again, first and foremost, it's, it's through those things that I find out how great God really is. Yes, it's, it's sometimes in the morning when it's a new day and the weeping from the night is all gone. It's all done. It's finished with. And it's a fresh start to, like night has its symbolism. Morning has its symbolism. It's a, it's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. It's, there's hope that goes along with the morning. But sometimes it's in your morning. When you, when you get through another day and part of you says, Wow, I don't know how I made it through another day. 
I, I don't know how I made it through another week. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how I made it through another hour. Because somehow in your morning, God is giving some things to you. In the midst of where you are, in the midst of what you're going through, He hasn't changed it all. He hasn't turned it all around yet. But in the midst of it. I, I'm really, I don't want to say this from my own natural selfish perspective. But I'm really not sure the greatest testimonies for God are the people that are get up out of the wheelchair. I'm not really sure if the greatest testimonies are those that were deaf and they're healed and they can now hear. and Those that were physically blind that God opens their eyes and they can see. That's, those are great. That's wonderful. But I'm not so sure the greater miracle is not those who continue to live in the affliction. With the affliction. And yet in the midst of what should cause them to be bitter. And angry. And hateful. They have such a peaceful. Pleasant attitude. And spirit. Because somehow they have learned that even in my mourning. My M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I should have brought two posters this morning and just held up whichever one. That even in my grieving, there's joy. You, you hear it said at funerals oftentimes that, 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 you know, it's the memories. In the midst of the loss and all that, it's the memories of the person that you're going to continue to live with. It's going to help you and encourage you. The fact that God continues to allow things in our lives to prove to us individually who He is and what He can do. Isaiah 61 and verse number 3, excuse me, verse number 1 says, Jesus, essentially His first public words, if you will, was the reading of this passage. From Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Zion can be symbolic of the church. Don't think just because you are a part of the church or you decide to become a part of the church that that means life is going to be wonderful and great from there on out. I went yesterday to a memorial service. Pastors in Hagerstown, Maryland. They've pastored the church there for 20 plus years. Two weeks ago, I believe it was two weeks ago, one of their two sons, 41 years old, passed away. I believe it was in his sleep. 
we went yesterday and I've, I've heard I, I've, I've heard of people and we've actually got at least one that I know of there may be some others at least one that I know of that has dealt with the loss of a spouse and the loss of a child it's my understanding obviously not that the loss of a spouse is an easy thing but it from what I've heard sounds like the dealing with the loss of a child is even more difficult because that, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to outlive your kids. And I, I, I watched as during the first part of the service, the pastor whose son had died gets up and talks and shares, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if I could do that. Trying to think as a dad, if that man, if this was one of my kids, I don't know if I could get up there and do that. Although I would venture to say he probably didn't think he could do it either because God doesn't give you grace in advance. He didn't say, Paul. Paul said, Lord, I got, I got this thorn. Would you take it away? He didn't say, no, I'm not going to take it away, but here we go. I... Look outside, here comes an 18-wheeler full of grace. All the grace you'll need, Paul, there it is. No, he said, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient means enough. And God always gives enough. Whatever you're dealing with today, there's enough. Does, that, does he not have more? Of course he has more. Then why didn't he give you all that you need? Because if he gave all of the grace you needed for what you're going through, you'd take the grace and run. So basically, I get enough grace for today, and I'll see you tomorrow, Lord. And then when I get that, I'm going to see you the next day. He said, my grace is sufficient. So I would suppose that Pastor Adams probably didn't know he could do that, but in the moment grace and he did that and then it was on the program that the mom would be speaking and she gets up and she begins to say some things and I mean okay so you say some things you share some things about your son that's wonderful amazing we all would just expect you to sit down and then all of a sudden we start the soundtrack And she starts to sing to the audience that's there gathered to celebrate the life of her son. I speak the name of Jesus over you, your families. Wait a minute. We ought to all be speaking the name of Jesus over you. Somehow, she found that there is joy In, in the midst of her mourning, her grieving. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. I'm going to skip the next part and come back. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. Notice this. He says, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. That's a, that's a pretty obvious trait. I give you 
ashes, you give me beauty. I'm going to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But that one, that other one, My wife's been, she's using it in the past, and I've used it some too, but in the last couple of weeks, she's been using Tiger Balm some. Kind of like um, Icy Hot or some of those other things. That's sort of an oil, if you will, for her pain. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't fix the problem. It provides some relief. In. I really want to be one of those preachers that just tell you, give a hundred dollars and God's going to give you a million. I, I re- that's a whole lot more fun. It's a lot more popular. It builds bigger crowds. I got to tell you today, there's some things that are way more important than your temporal pleasure. So God, if you don't take away my mourning, but you just give me some oil, some joy to rub in a little bit, to give me a little bit of relief, but I'm still going to keep mourning. there's others I could call their name but Sister Krieger I think you probably half these people have no clue but I think you probably if if I were to pick an example this morning of this message you're probably one of the people that could exemplify the most I'm sure you're still hoping for the M-O-R-N-I-N-G with a lot of things in your life but day after day sometimes minute after minute It's not a new day where everything suddenly turns around. Isn't it cool when you go to bed some nights and you went to bed and it was dark and stormy and it was a stormy day and you wake up in the morning and there is an absolutely clear blue sky and that sun is just, especially when it's the time of year when it's just that, it's not too hot, but it's just warm and you feel the warmth of it that's just, just, just so soothing. I wonder how many times we've woken up, Brother Tony, We looked outside in the new day and it was still dark, raining. And so we just wanted to simply pull the covers over our head and stay in the bed. I thought this was my morning. Oh, it is your morning. It's just, it may not be the morning your flesh wants. But it might be the morning that is most beneficial to your eternal salvation. So I'm not going to turn it around. It's not going to be the brand new day where things are suddenly new. But but I'm going to give you some joy in the midst of it. I'm going to give you some grace. I'm going to give you some peace. I'm going to give you some hope. I read it to you in the beginning. 
Maybe it has a little more meaning now. That morning may not always be this life. Your morning may not happen in this life. This life may end up being one perpetual night. You know, God, I'm, I'm trying to quit here, but I don't know if you know this or not, but God doesn't call me or email me or text me and say, hey, which saint do you think I should do something to next? Because, I mean, I don't really mean this bad, but there's some of you I'd suggest you. I'd suggest you not because I don't like you or love you, but because everything seems to be going pretty good for you. So, you know, God, give them a little dose of something. Hear me, because I'm getting to my what I'm trying to say. I'm really not trying to be mean in this. I'm saying that because I watch time and time again. Brother Gregory, it's the people who's load is already full it's the people who are already juggling everything you can imagine and God's like here you go got one more thing for you I've asked God for I mean it's I've asked God for some of you why God why him why her I, I just did it on Friday God of all people to have to be getting more dumped on why them I mean I know you don't forget anything God but in case you've forgotten let me tell you about what they've been through already let me tell you about the losses they've already suffered you're going to add you're going to add to them I, I don't understand it. I, if you can explain it, help me out. Other than the fact he's way more concerned about you having the morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, of mornings. There's an old song that says, In that great getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. I'd rather have the great getting up morning than a bunch of temporary mornings here and now and miss that great morning. So if you're one of the ones that God has for some reason chosen Jalen, I was doing great up until offering. Like, man, this is good. Yeah, this is all right. And then we're glorious day. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, really? I guess he was just setting you up. I guess the Lord, not Jalen, the Lord was setting you up. 
truth of the matter is, if you don't go in the rapture, the most glorious day of coming out of the grave is going to be the day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise. Because after that new morning, there will never be any more of that other morning. Don't let the devil, somebody please hear me, but don't let the devil use your mourning, your grieving, and cause you to miss out on that ultimate morning. I've watched it throughout my life, and especially in my adult years as I've been more able to understand and observe it. I've watched many times as people week after week, service after service, would walk into this sanctuary or other sanctuaries, other places that we were meeting, knowing that the weight of the world was pretty much on their shoulders. And yet somehow in the midst of all of that, they had tapped in to a joy and it wasn't a joy that was just based on the changing of their circumstances it was joy in their circumstances would you just bow your head close your eyes where you are for right now we may do more than this in just a moment from the very beginning throughout worship and the ministry we were led into already the Holy Ghost is been here working and ministering. I readily acknowledge, I mean it sincerely, I don't mean it flippantly, I'm not just trying to be whatever. I, I realize this is probably not the message some of you want to hear. It's not the answer that you want to hear, but there may be something way down deep in the depths of your soul that recognizes This may not be what my flesh wants to hear, but this is what my spirit needs to hear. I believe that even in this moment, I I, I hope and pray, it's my hope and prayer that for every one of us in here, the weeping of the night is going to turn into joy in our new morning and a new day. But, And I believe there are some, that's the case, but there are others. It's not joy because of the new day, the new morning. It's joy in sin. I feel like maybe the Lord would like to offer someone some oil of joy for your morning right now. Some some salve to put on it. It may not take it away, but it's gonna it's gonna help you help you make it through it. It's going to help you reach that ultimate morning. That's a new day. wonder, maybe one person, but I just, I want to do this if you're willing, if somebody's willing to be vulnerable. If you're here this morning and you're willing to acknowledge that it seems to be what you're going through right now is having to have joy in the midst of mourning. 
you're dealing with that right now, and, and, and please, I beg you, don't, don't sit there and compare yourself to somebody else, especially in the sense of, well, I, what I'm dealing with is not as difficult as what somebody else is dealing with. My struggles are not as bad. My, my pain is not as bad. God doesn't look at us that way. God doesn't look at you and say, well, you're not going through as much as they are. Suck it up. Get over it. He doesn't do that. So I don't care how small in some ways it may feel. If you're dealing with some stuff right now that you're in the the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G phase, you're willing to acknowledge it and be a little bit transparent and vulnerable, I want to invite you, if you would, to get up out of your seat Come stand at this altar. And when you come, I want to invite some others that maybe they don't they don't really need it right now, but using the word pictures of Isaiah, but you you would come and help let the Lord use you right now to apply some of that oil of joy. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you don't need to come for yourself, please be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord as there are those that have come Jesus' name. Father, right now, Father, right now, if you choose for us not to have a brand new day, if we're still in the night, we're still in the weeping, you can still give us joy in our mourning. You can still minister joy in the midst of our sorrow and grief. Jesus, Jesus. You're the source. Lord, what's so amazing about you is that you don't have to just fix it all to give us what we need. We can still keep walking through the valley. We can still keep dealing with the turmoil, but we can tap in. We can tap into peace and joy and hope. Hope that is not built on the past. Hope that is not determined by what I've been through, but hope that rests in you. A confident expectation. You're either going to turn this around. You're either going to let me have a brand new day. Or you're going to give me what I need in the midst what I'm going through. It might be just enough 
to get me through the next moment, the next day. But it's going to be enough. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you need to go, you're welcome to go, but the Holy Ghost is ministering to some people, so not just completely dismissing if you need to go thank you for being here but to be mindful of the presence of the Lord that's still touching some hearts and lives in this place right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you understand our humanity. You said in your word, you remember that our frame is from the dust. You understand the way we think. You know the way we think. Help us today to not be so locked into what we want you to do, to how we want you to work, that we miss what you are actually doing. That we miss that you are actually working in the moment. Even if it's not what we want, how we want. Doesn't change the significance. Doesn't change the impact doesn't change the effectiveness of what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.